Hello and welcome to the CDI podcast. I'm Shelby Fiegel, Director of the University of Central Arkansas Center for Community and Economic Development. You are in for a real treat today because we are going to be delving into the very, very exciting topic of the Community Reinvestment Act, also known as CRA. As our team was considering who would be best to discuss this topic, there was only one answer, Marty North with Simmons Bank. Marty serves as the Senior Vice President and Director of Community Development and the Community Reinvestment Act at Simmons. Marty, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Shelby, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, this is really a conversation that I am looking forward to delving into. Well, we are excited as well. And um, as we've been talking about this, I think that, you know, Marty, this is going to be a topic that's really going to shed a lot of light for community leaders on CRA. But before we dive into talking about CRA, I want to talk a little bit about you. Um, so the first question I have for you is, what's your background and how did you end up in the position you're in today? Oh, my goodness. What a journey. It, <laughs> it has truly been. So um, I will start off acknowledging that I really didn't know much about banking and I definitely didn't know anything about the CRA. Um, I actually have a um, allied health educational background and worked as a, a uh, in, in the field of dietary sciences, I actually have an undergraduate in dietetics. I know dietetics, banking. How on earth did you end up there? I actually accidentally learned that during the course of working in a hospital that I grossed out really easily. So that really doesn't work well to have a career in that field. And so then I said, what do I do now? And through a course of amazing steps, I ended up working as a temporary in a startup small business unit back at Boatman's Bank. And so that was my foray into banking. And I had to have a crash course on how things operate uh, behind the scenes, working with a lot of different units. From there, I was recruited away to a different bank. I ended up working in the commercial lending department. Then I worked in management information systems. Then um, through the result of mergers and acquisitions, I ended up being the CRA uh, mortgage lender. Then I left banking because I thought banking is too unstable. <laughs> I went to work for a nonprofit. I know the logic on that is kind of interesting, but um, it worked out in my favor. So then I ran a home ownership program, um, got a wealth of experience there, actually consulted uh, nationwide, working with nonprofits. On top of that, for about five years, got recruited back into banking and was introduced in a meaningful way to CRA. And I have been working as a uh, community development CRA officer now for 17 years. Well, Marty, you definitely win the award for most interesting path into banking. I think, like you said, going from healthcare to banking to nonprofits back to banking. Uh, I know that must have been quite a journey, huh? It truly, truly was. But I can say at every step along the way, it really did prepare me for the role that I have now because um, CRA, and I unapologetically say this all the time, is the best regulation in all of the banking regs um, because, as you know, banking is the most regulated 
industry, people would think it would be healthcare. Mm -mm, We've got them beat. (laughs) And so this one is the rig that actually brings me great joy and satisfaction in understanding how we have a dual role in this in this space, working directly in community and then the regulatory behind the scenes banking side. So we live in two worlds, which is kind of uncommon um, within the regulatory space. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why um, calling back to your experience, Marty, and the position you're in today, why we really felt like you would be such a great fit to dive into this topic. and. Um, peel it apart to make it understandable for our listeners. So my first question for you is going to be, many community leaders really might not be familiar with the Community Reinvestment Act. So to the best of your ability, how would you describe what the CRA is? This is a a tough question to answer um, in a really short way, but I'll, I'll give it a give it a try. So when we think about historic public policy in this nation, it evolved over time. Unfortunately, a large segment of our public policy was pretty discriminatory in nature and intent, um, and it was nationalized. One of the policies um, that impacts us still today has involved our housing policy. So it was very legal at various points in our history to have a lot of, um, shall I say, disparate treatment and disparate impact laws within housing, where individuals could live and could not live, who could live where, um, where certain developments were allowed to um, be developed. And as a result, there were a series of class action lawsuits that came about in the 60s and 70s that ended with the Community Reinvestment Act known as Regulation BB in the banking world came about and became law in 1977, which actually outlawed outlawed the practice known as redlining. And so when people hear that term redlining, let me give more context to it. Um, The former Um, HOLC, an institution that doesn't exist anymore, had created what were considered to be residential security maps. So this idea of managing where good loans could be made and other places that were considered to be risky, they color-coded communities. Now, this practice was not applied in every community in the country, but in the Uh, communities that it was adopted. Other cities and municipalities saw this as a best practice at the time, and they also developed their own uh, mapping system. Within it, you had various uh, color codes, red, yellow, green, blue. The green communities were your most desirable communities, and as you can imagine, if we're thinking about 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, we're looking at um, what was legal at that time, So you had uh, situations in in which all white communities were considered to be green and the most desirable communities in which to lend. Then you had blue, and then the scale just continued to um, go down with red being considered the least desirable and riskiest communities in which to provide lending. And guess 
what the um, racial and ethnic makeup of those communities look like. So oftentimes we talk about lending exclusively as it relates to redlining, but it also um, impacted insurance as well. So it was also more costly or virtually impossible to get insurance in communities that were um, labeled as red um, or as a, a level four or a level D, depending upon the labeling uh, nomenclature that was used at that time. So in 1977, that practice became illegal in this country. So prior to 77, legal. Starting in 77, illegal. But it had taken time to come up with how do we actually uh, make this new law um, have any teeth and meaning to it. And so for the next few years, they were still trying to figure out what's the best way to go about it. And I think about during that time, a lot of misinterpretation of what CRA was addressing um, started to form because there were other uh, pieces of legislation that had come out in the late 60s and through um, the middle 70s that dealt directly with affirmative action type legislation. So CRA is trying to overcome the impact of redlining, it actually is not an affirmative action piece of legislation. So starting in the 80s, the new rules of what it means to comply with this new law started to be formed and they have um, been modified a few times throughout its history, but we are still very much needing to continue to do the work of level setting and putting um, equitable access to financial services and products to still over, overcome and combat um, the previous uh, public policy legacy that uh, produced a lot of the outcomes that we see today. Well, Marty, I think that you did an incredible job summarizing something very complicated and very deep-seated in our history into a very digestible format. And I'm glad you ended where you did talking about how we're overcoming those inequities because the next question I have for you is how does Simmons Bank support communities and even local businesses across Arkansas and uh, kind of tie that back into um, your directives under the CRA? Sure. So one of the things that I'm extremely proud of is that fact that I have the ability and support to chart the bank's pathway and how we respond to providing financial access in all of the communities in which we operate. So that's from retail uh, banking products in which we are a proud member of the Bank On affordable checking account movement and we're an early adopter here and every location in which we operate that product is available low cost um, very flexible program to help encourage individuals to enter the financial mainstream because it's just cheaper and it's safer to be in the financial mainstream to second uh, chance checking accounts for individuals you know life happens and they may have had a bad experience for whatever reason in the past, but providing a pathway for them once again to enter the financial mainstream affordably. So whether it's from that end to creating 
um, affordable mortgage products that we actually portfolio to try to provide that flexibility to help individuals purchase that first home or refinance their existing home into a better product. There are still individuals back from the housing crisis that may have gotten into some pretty exotic products that still have not refinanced. And um, this is, we provide a variety of opportunities to help encourage those individuals and others to take advantage of these great um, interest rates in order to help them solidify and improve their own personal balance sheets um, as well. Um, and then small business lending, for example, we are very, very active in making sure that we are providing um, capital to emerging small businesses, mid-sized businesses, all the way up to the really large commercial and industrial. Um, we have a very robust um, charitable giving that we engage in here at Simmons Bank. We give a lot of money away to some wonderful organizations, um, whether directly for CRA or for our broader community outreach efforts, um, in, which also includes our foundation work as well. And I'm very involved um, with our Simmons First Foundation and our charitable giving at that level. And then on our secondary uh, market investments, we invest millions of dollars um, to make sure that the mortgage industry is still operating robust and that individuals um, are still able to get FHA and VA and USDA and other loans. Um, we invest in small business investment corporations and a whole bunch of other types of entities as well. And then lastly, our direct um, employee engagement out in communities. Very, very proud of the level, degree, and amount of volunteerism that uh, my coworkers engage in all over the, the state um, in large and small ways. Very visible and sometimes uh, not so visible to the, the public, but a very, very proud of the thousands of activities that are performed every year um, to make sure that we are touching our customers. We are addressing a variety of opportunities that the community makes us aware of that there is a need. So we really do strive to be as responsive as we can uh, within the confines of still being a bank um, to our community. And Marty, it's like you're almost reading my mind transitioning into these questions that I have for you, because <laughs> I think that it's so important to engage um, our local bankers at the community level. And I know when we work in communities, um, they're one of the first business leaders that we make contact with. And as a community bank um, and a community banker yourself, how would you suggest leaders in communities build relationships with their local bankers? And why do you think it's important to build those relationships at the local level? Excellent question. So step one, do your homework on the various banks because all banks aren't created equal and we don't all have the same operating model. Um, I share this, this brief story of sharing that with the community group in another area of the state and they gave me an example of 
a negative experience that they had with a, a small bank and they didn't understand why this particular bank was not being responsive to their need. And I said, well, what is their primary form of lending? And they said, agriculture. I said, and what was your request? And it was something totally in housing. I said, they weren't being dismissive. That's just not what they do. If they don't have a robust housing program, they may not even have a housing staff or someone who could even really address your request. And so when I pointed that out, they were like, oh, they, it wasn't anything personal against us. And I'm like, no, that bank is just not situated to do the type of lending that you were seeking. So first step, homework, read up on the, the various banks in your community and see what type of lending they're primarily involved in. You can typically get that from their annual reports or on their website or asking a few questions. What's their primary um, lending focus? Because all banks are not created equal. Once you have figured out that, okay, this bank is engaged in the type of um, lending that aligns with my need, then it's identifying who are the right individuals within that bank to reach out to. Not every bank has a CRA officer, and it's not always necessary to get directly to the CRA officer. Um, talking with the local branch management or um, local community president or leadership um, could be equally as effective depending upon what your request is um, or working with that small business lender or commercial lender. Making sure that you can fully explain, even if um, some of it is a little unknown or gray, but being able to explain your project as thoroughly as you can. Sometimes um, projects are presented to us that we've never seen or done before. And so it may take a little time to process and think through what it would mean to approve such a request. So, for example, a request could be, awesome and the project be wonderful and never done anything like that. So then we have to figure out internally, how do you actually make that loan happen? So it becomes a systems issue and a documentation and a funding and where does this fall? So sometimes a no or a delayed response could simply be tied to the banks trying to figure out how to make the deal actually work. So wanted to point that out as well doing the homework, starting the conversations, um, understanding that the person that you start with may not end up being the only person that you communicate with, or you may actually be handed off to someone else. That's not necessarily a negative thing. Um, your request could be one that is just better suited for someone else in the bank to try to, once again, figure out uh, how we could possibly do the loan. Believe it or not, that's typically the approach taken is we're looking at it from how we could make the loan from a positive standpoint. And then if there are a variety of things that arise during that process that make it uh, challenging or difficult for us to do, um, then that kind of works its way to a no. But we don't start off with, okay, we don't want to do this deal. We really are in business to make loans and provide access to capital. Um, and so the process of trying to make sure that we're addressing everything properly uh, is a part of the, the process. So reaching out 
to your local um, individuals, depending upon the type of ask, and just asking questions. And people will typically get you to a person um, that is willing to help you. But it's really important because having that relationship, um, especially over an extended period of time, pays off. I mean, whether or not it's discounts in um, rates and fees for loyalty and, and your other accounts uh, with the bank to having that relationship. So when an emergency arises, um, that bank can look at your relationship and uh, may be able to provide some other suggestions to help you. And then it's just a secure way to protect your own capital and operating your business or municipality as well. So you have the um, your best position to take advantage of your cash um, in the smartest way versus necessarily deploying all of your cash to fund a project in one way when financing could have helped you leverage that cash in any different way. So having those relationships are really key at that level. And then personally, as we think about strengthening our own balance sheets or improving our cash flow or accumulating wealth and generating um, generational wealth, having a relationship with the bank is a very key component in navigating throughout a life cycle from starter accounts, savings accounts, um, when you're thinking about uh, managing for retirement, uh, buying a home, starting a business, expanding a business, financing college, um, financing a car, just all these various aspects of um, having, you know, a certain quality of life, the financial mainstream and banking is, is a, a key component of that. So having that relationship is key. Um, developing that relationship and maintaining that relationship are, are, are also equally important. Well, Marty, I really feel like you gave our listeners kind of a peek behind the curtain. And I love that you spoke from that community perspective, but also just from a, like you said, our life cycle, um, just personally, how important those relationships are with our local banking institutions. Um, with that, Marty, uh, I want to thank you so much for your time. I know your schedule is extremely busy. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today and getting this on your calendar. It's always a great time when we visit with each other and I learn so much from you. Um, and I also want to let our audience know that Simmons Bank will be partnering with our staff at UCA to support the Community Development Institute Advanced Year Program. And we are so excited for that new partnership with Simmons. So thanks so much again, Marty, for being on here with me. Thank you, Shelby. This is truly an honor. All righty, everybody. Well, on upcoming episodes of the CDI podcast, we're going to feature CDI graduates, participants, community partners, and community and economic development experts, just like Marty, from across the state of Arkansas, the Mid-South, and the nation. We hope to you join us next week on the CDI podcast.